I used to think that I was big stuff, especially in middle school. Um, I was the class clown, teacher's pet, everybody loved me, or at least so I thought. So much so that by the time that I had finished middle school, I had been elected as our freshman class president. It's quite a feat, I have to say. And so all that to find, it was great. I loved it. I, the recognition felt really good, all right? I, I had worked hard, uh, so hard for that title. And so the first day of high school, I walk through the doors and I look something like this with my, my chest puffed out, ready to take on the world. All to find that not one single person recognized the fact that I was our class president at all. At all. It just seemed like instead of, of importance and notice, what I felt was dejected and really disappointed. <laughs> Hello, I was our class president. Why, why have you not recognized that? What I realized was I was really no different than anyone else who was in that high school. I was, a, I was a kid. I was a classmate just like the rest of them. And what I was experiencing in that moment was the truth of Scripture that says pride comes before a fall. And ever since that moment, I have learned something that I've really ta I've taken with me along the way. And that's the truth that humility is always the better choice. Humility is always the better choice. So good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at Get Well Church and glad that you've joined us today. Whether you're in this room or you're joining us online, but however and wherever, uh, it's a great day to be together. And if you're our guest, we're glad that you're here uh, as well for service this morning. Uh, we're continuing in a series that we have called The Good Life. Uh, we're looking at this life that Jesus wants us to have uh, so that we can experience true happiness, right? Uh, and each week we've been looking at one of the Beatitudes found in Jesus' Sermon uh, on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, uh, characteristics that mark us as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so uh, we know that this world is sometimes uh, off kilter, and so we don't want to live in the world. We want to live as part of God's kingdom. And so uh, this happiness that a lot of times we've been trying to find, uh, we find in all the wrong places. And so what we're going to discover through this series is looking at these Beatitudes each week is where is our true happiness? Where does that lie? And so two weeks ago, we unpacked the first Beatitude, happy uh, are the beggars. And we realized that those who were truly happy are those who realize that they're poor and that they're in need of God. Last week, uh, uh, Jason Grissom, one of our student pastors, taught on happy are the sad, showing us that God takes our pain and brings purpose out of it and that God is the one who truly comforts us. Now, all this series, uh, we give great uh, credit to uh, Derwin Gray and his book, The Good Life, which we've based this series off of. Uh, we'd love for you to grab a copy of this. I think there was a slide just a second ago, but we'd love for you to uh, grab a copy. If you get a chance, you can get it on Amazon or at a bookstore, uh, wherever. This came out a couple of years ago. Uh, lots of great insight in here. We also have a class. Uh, at 11 o'clock. So for you 930ers, if you'd like to go to the classes in the hub uh, to dive deeper into each week's uh, beatitude. Uh, but go ahead and grab a copy because I like you. I don't have one for everybody, but there are a few copies that you can pick up if you would like one for free uh, at the Welcome Center as you leave today. There's a handful of them. A handful, so don't all start running after the sermon's over. Um, but would love to get this in your hands. Uh, good stuff here. But Dr. Derwin Gray's book, The Good Life, uh, is what we've been basing this series off of. So what beatitude are we talking about today? Well, let's read. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. Now, is Jesus crazy? Because when I look at the world, reality doesn't show me that the meek, the humble, are the ones who are inheriting the earth, right? Like it just seems so contrary to what we see. Well, what I want us to do is take a look at what Jesus really meant. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. I want to look at what Paul, a guy who wanted to be like Jesus, says about this humility that leads to an inheritance. All right. And so Philippians chapter 2, it's in the New Testament. Uh, You've got, it's a very small book. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Colossians. And so Philippians chapter 2 is where we'll be at before we get to there. Let's give some context to where we're going to be. So Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Ah, sweet humility, right? Seems like something that our 21st century doesn't seem to have much of. uh, And it really isn't much different than, as Derwin Gray points out, than the first century Greco-Roman society as well. And the first century of uh, the city of Philippi was a Roman city, um, and it was heavily influenced by the Greek culture of its past. Uh, And so with that kind of culture, humility was seen as a weakness, not as a virtue, as something that you would want. And it really seems like our society doesn't value humility much as well, right? As, even as much as the Romans did. Which is why what Jesus says in his beatitude is, is so countercultural, right? So upside down sounding uh, than what we would be used to. And when we look around us, what do we see? The people who we see inheriting the earth, it looks an awful like uh, a lot of those uh, corporate CEOs, professional athletes, social media influencers, Hollywood stars. I mean, you name it. It seems like it's only the movers and shakers are the ones who are somehow the ones who are inheriting the earth. And last time I checked, a lot of those people didn't quite, humble is not quite the word that I would use uh, to describe them, right? But both Jesus and Paul think that humility, a life of humility, is a necessary virtue for us to be able to live the good life. And so you see, the church at Philippi, they're ordinary people, just like you and I, uh, they had a selfishness problem. So let's look at what Paul says in verses 1 through 4 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others." And so the root of selfishness is simple. It's pride. See, the very first sin that was recorded in the Bible that we find comes in Genesis chapter 3. It's pride. That's that of pride. Adam and Eve, who were the very first humans, they chose to eat from a tree that God had said, do not eat from this tree. But why did they do it? Because they felt like God had been holding out on them. There was this quest that they had to be like God. When selfishness and pride takes over our lives, what happens is our desires and our interests, they become more important to us than that of others. And essentially what we end up saying when pride takes uh, effect is that I am God and that the world revolves around me. 
One of my pastor friends, Eric George, he's at the orchard in Oxford. He said it this way, that pride develops a cancer in the soul. Pride develops a cancer in the soul. And that's because what it does is it wants to destroy us. And it seeks to destroy anything and everyone in its path as well. And when pride takes over, what we end up doing is we desire to play God rather than be reliant on God. And not only does this affect us, it affects our relationships. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he said it pretty well whenever he said this. He said that pride will always be the longest distance between two people. The longest distance between two people. And I think he's right. Because if our greatest purpose is to love God and to love our neighbor, then pride will always get in the way of that. So if pride's not the good life, then what is? Then what is, right? Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He goes on to say this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Our call as followers of Jesus, as citizens of this kingdom of God, is to have this same attitude, this same mindset as Jesus. So what does having this same attitude, the same mind of Jesus, what does that look like? Well, I think that there's two words that could sum up what uh, Jesus' attitude and mind was like, and it's this. It's humble and obedient. When we look at Jesus, we see him as humble and and obedient. And so to show us this, Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 2 to quote for us one of the very first hymns sung by the early uh, Christian believers. Uh, these, uh, the first three verses that we're about to look at sing of the value of humility plus obedience. Humility plus obedience that, that uh, Jesus modeled for us uh, to God. So let's look at verses 6 through 8. Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, that, friends, is what humility plus obedience looks like on display. Even though Jesus was somebody, he chose to humble himself. He chose to become obedient to God the Father. And we too, we're, we're supposed to follow Jesus' example, but we're to emulate this humility plus obedience to God in our relationship with God and with one another. Humility is part of what it means for us to have this same attitude, this same mind of Christ. And so the cure to our pride problem is humility plus obedience. When, when Jesus says that God blesses those who are meek, those who are humble, he wants us to see, as Derwin Gray points out, is that the happy, the truly happy, are those whose power is found in God, not in themselves. The truly happy are those whose power is found in, in God and not in themselves. Being meek doesn't mean that we're weak. Jesus was not weak. It means that being humble means something different, though. And I think that the Greeks, as Derwin Gray points out, has a, had a really great image for this. Of a stallion that's learned to heed the command of its, its rider. That is what we do, friends. 
As we learn this humility, we let God be the one who's directing us in our lives. And so that's the life that Jesus lived. That's the life that we're to live too. This is the life that leads to true happiness, the path to the good life. You see, Jesus set aside all of his rights and privileges and came to earth in human form to be with us. He left the comfort and the the protection, the perfection of heaven into our messy world, our broken world that's in need of redemption. And in doing so, he lived a life that was perfect, sinless, blameless. He lived a life that we never could live, and he died a death that we all deserve to die, and he endured the cross for our sake. He humbled himself for us. He was obedient to the Father for us. You see, what happened is our pride, ever since the fall in Genesis 3, our pride, it created a chasm between us and God. It broke the, the, it broke the connection that we had with the Father. And there's no way that we could restore that on our own. Until Jesus' humility closed that gap for us. Between us and God. That longest distance between us and God now mended and bridged and brought together because Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to God for us. He gave his life in humility and obedience so that through the power and the grace of God, we might draw near and be transformed. He wants us to experience this good life because he knows the love that the Father has for us. And he wants to share that same love and life with us, with God and in his kingdom. And so here's the thing. is just like Jesus, for Jesus, humility is a choice. Humility is a choice. It's not something that's passive. All right, I think a lot of times we think that humility is kind of passive, such as something that happens to humble us. Maybe unemployment happens, or we have a failed relationship, or a shattered dream, a health crisis. I don't know, you name it. There are lots of things that tend to happen to us that tend to humble us. But no, this kind of humility that Jesus is talking about in this beatitude and that Paul is, is, is showing us here in this hymn is not that that's passive, but one that is active. One that is active is something that we choose for ourselves because we know the benefit in doing so. We can choose this humility, not because of ourselves, but because of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us, that is changing us and transforming us. So this humility, what, what benefit did it have for Jesus? Well, let's look at the second part of the hymn, uh, the second set of verses in Philippians chapter 2. We'll pick up in verse 9 uh, to see what Jesus' humility plus obedience, what his inheritance, what happens here. All right, so let's look at these verses. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this is a huge theme in scripture, all throughout scripture. That we see that the humble will be exalted. Jesus said this in Matthew 23. He said, for those who will exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I don't know about you. But I would much rather be humble than be humbled by my creator, right? 
I mean, let's be really honest here. Because of Jesus' humility plus obedience, he was exalted by God as king over the kingdom. And that one day, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's just a reminder that if we're going to call him Lord, then we have to acknowledge that he is the king over this kingdom that we're a part of. Now, I think a lot of times, unfortunately, we like the kingdom and all the benefits that come with that, but we don't so much want to submit ourselves to the king, right? We want the rights and privileges of the kingdom without having to submit our lives to the king who reigns over it and our pride, our desire to have life the way that we want it, the, the things that we want and do it all in our own strength. That is what's going to keep us from experiencing this good life, this joy that comes from the kingdom that's coming and the kingdom that's breaking in even right now. Friends, if there's been a king who's been exalted over the kingdom, then what benefit is there for us in this humility? Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What it means is that one day, one day, we will gain citizenship into a new heaven and new earth that the end of this story tells us about. It's the Bible. That's one of the greatest gifts that we have is that we understand the past, but also we can look to the future. We can see how all of this is going to unfold. We have the story in our hands. The humble, the obedient, those who are faithful to the end are the ones who will inherit who receive this inheritance, they're greater than anything that this world can offer to us. I think a lot of times we get blinded by the things of this world, thinking, man, isn't this great? And yes, there are great things in this world, but there are greater things still to come. It's not just about the future. Yes, we have something to look forward to. But this inheritance changes the way that we live today, what we do right now. Being citizens of the kingdom of God, it doesn't only have consequences for us, but it also has a benefit for those who are not in the kingdom yet. Because God uses our humility and our obedience for the sake of others. What he does is he, he uses us to draw them into his kingdom life. That they too could experience this good life. Remember that image of the stallion that we talked about a minute ago? Imagine what God could do with us if we humbled ourselves. If we let him be the one who guided our every action, our every decision, our life, imagine what he could do with it. So Jesus, he chose humility. And out of his humility and obedience, what happens is, is we have life despite our pride. You see, our lives are transformed by the grace of God alone. And so what that does is that sets us up for a choice. Are we going to choose to be humble like Jesus our king, or not? What's it going to be? I mean, there are times over and over again whenever I allow myself to be prideful, arrogant, uh, selfish, and I'm sure that you do too, but what God is calling us to is something so much greater than that kind of life, something so much better. And I love the way that Durham Gray, Gray puts it in his book. He says this, humility is placing yourself under the grace, glory, love, and mission of God. It gives you the supernatural ability to accomplish God's mission. Happy are the humble, for God will do above and beyond all they think or imagine 
because the risen Lord will work mightily in them. Now, we're not going to get rid of our pride problem overnight. I wish that that was true. Believe me. What it is going to be, though, is a process. See, what we really strive for is not perfection, but for progress. Or another way to put it is progress over perfection. You see, it's baby steps. It's inch by inch, allowing God's Spirit to come and do this work of transformation in our hearts and our minds. Allowing God's Spirit to give us power, His power. Not our own power, but His power. So that we can break strongholds. So that we can find resurrection for our broken bodies in this broken world. And not just for our glory, but for God's glory as well. If you don't believe me about us having to tap into this power of God, look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God. It's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good promise. When we humble ourselves before God, when we follow him in obedience, God is the one who works against our pride and our ego. And through that, he accomplishes something greater than we can even ask or imagine. What area of your life do you need to come in and humble yourself before God? What is it? What is that spot? Could it be that we need to humble yourself to voluntarily confess that sin that you keep hanging on to, but you're too prideful to ever let it come out? Could it be that we need to ask God to help in that situation that it seems like, man, I've tried over and over and over again, but yet nothing seems to change? Could be pride getting in the way. Humble yourself. Take it to Jesus. Maybe finances, man, Sometimes it's good to just have that money, but you have been kind of feeling God's been saying, hey, I want you to do something really great with this. Maybe God's asking you to give sacrificially. Maybe he's even asking you to give anonymously. I don't know. But so often we hang on to our pride with clenched fists, not willing to let it go, but yet the good life is ours to have. Give it to God. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to help you be humble by his mighty power in your life. Ask God. Maybe we need to treat others better than ourselves. Friends, I don't know all of what's going on in your life, but I know that pride will always be that distance that keeps us from really truly living the good life. And so let's be people who are humble, who seek God, who follow King Jesus with all of our lives and who let him help us inherit the whole earth. How beautiful that will be. Because this way of life, this humility, that is what it truly means to have a happy and good life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for this time. God, we ask that you would help us to be people who were humble, 
who are humble, who live a life for you. Lord, who practice what Jesus modeled for us, humility plus obedience, Lord, as a stallion who's learned to heed the command of its rider. And Jesus, we are grateful that because of your humility and obedience, that we can have a truly good life in God. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross on our behalf. Thank you for taking our sin. Thank you for not being prideful as you could have been. And so, Lord, help us to be the people who follow you, who call you Lord, who confess your name, who make much of you, Jesus. And Lord, would you do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine through our humility to you. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to have a song of response. I want to invite you that you're welcome to come and kneel at these altars and pray uh, here. Or you can pray at your seat uh, or in your kitchen, wherever you might be uh, this morning. But God's asking us to respond. God wants to give us the good life. Let's seek him. Let's ask him to help us have that. Let's stand and let's sing together.